You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. All right, Kingsway. It is so good to be here. So good to meet you. My name is Matt Cody. And uh, if you're new here, so am I. All right, this is my first time uh, I've ever been here. But uh, it's been a great morning. I'm originally from... Uh, actually, the East Coast. I grew up in the, in the great state of Connecticut, but right now, uh, my family and I, we live out uh, in Colorado, about 30 miles north of Denver, and I serve uh, at a church out there called Rocky Mountain Christian Church, and so it's good to be with you, and today we're going to be talking about uh, the topic of relationships, and so uh, I'll just tell you about a couple of relationships in my life. First, uh, I got to know your lead pastor, Matt Nickerson, about four years ago. Uh, we, we jumped into a pastoral covenant group together. It's a small group for pastors. And um, it just so happens, too, that uh, your pastor, uh, Matt, used to serve uh, where I serve now. He was actually on staff at Rocky uh, before he came here. And so we jumped into this pastoral covenant group together. And uh, we've done life together for the last four years. And you already know this, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you anyways. Um, you've got a great pastor. And uh, I have spent so many uh, Zoom calls with him and phone calls. And twice a year, we go on retreats together, uh, which usually was the guys uh, who are out here in the Midwest were coming to Colorado, hang out in the mountains. But uh, we would get together. And oftentimes, uh, Matt and I would be the last two who would go to bed. We would stay up late and just chat about family and life and, and ministry and leading in the local church. And um, I just got to tell you, he, he's the real deal. The guy on the stage is the same guy off the stage. And I've, I've so much appreciated his friendship uh, over the last four years. And so when he called me a couple months ago, he said, hey, dude, would you be interested in coming out to Kingsway? I was like, yes, absolutely. I would love to. I'd love to help you out and serve you in that way. And he said, hey, just a heads up, it's, it's Memorial Day weekend and I won't be there. And I was like, that's cool. I'm in, you know, I, I, I'm still there. He said, also, there's this race. I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but there's this race happening. And uh, I said, yeah. And so I wore this shirt today, guys, for the race, you know. <laughs> so, you know. Anyways, anyways, a couple other relationships in my, in my life. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Vanessa, now coming up on 19 years and um, love her to death. And uh, yeah, we're almost to 20. We're, we're close to 20. 20 is a, a big, uh, next year will be a big year for us. And uh, over that uh, span of time, we've had uh, four children. So I have four girls. I have four girls. Uh, they are 16, 15, 12, and 10. So y'all pray for me, Okay. Um, we, uh, when we started having kids, um, I, I really wanted a son and God said, no. All right. And so I'm, I'm a girl dad. That's, that's what I am. I'm a girl dad and I love all my girls. And, um, but you know, it's a lot of tears in my house. So anyways, uh, but I love my family. And, um, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about relationships and here's why, because, uh, Matt and I, we were chatting uh, again a couple of months ago about, uh, maybe the topic today or, or, or what, you know, what, what I wanted to share. And we both agreed on this one thing, that even before COVID and before everything that we've kind of journeyed through the last couple of years, relationships, all kinds of relationships are challenging. Uh, relationships are just challenging because relationships involve people and you, you get that and people are messy and people are not perfect. And so just, just relationships are challenging. Then you kind of go through what we went through the last couple of years and then all of a sudden they become that much more challenging. And as a pastor, we, we, you know, Matt and I, as we were chatting, we, we often find ourselves with people uh, when they're going through the most difficult moments of their life. And there's been a lot of those moments over the last two years. 
And one of the things that, you know, our, our churches have in common is that um, all relationships, but especially even just the marriage ones, it's been a tough go the last couple of years. And I find myself sitting in, in my office with, with couples who are part of our church and, and who are going through difficult seasons, couples that have been married for a year or five or 10 or some that have been, even been married for about 30 30 years, and every time I've got a couple in my, in my office and we're talking about some of the difficulties they're going through, um, I always ask them a, a, a question that sounds something like this. Hey guys, how, how, did, how did we get here? How did we get here? And they don't always know what I'm talking about because sometimes they say, well, we drove in the car here. And I said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is in the context of your relationship, how did you get in my office talking about this topic? How did you get in my office and we're having a discussion right now, really what we're talking about is, is this relationship going to continue? Or is this relationship going to come to an end? And every time I ask that question, they always answer the same way. They go, we don't really know how we got here. I mean, the plan was not to be here, uh, but somewhere along the way, we clearly made a decision or we did something that allowed this relationship to kind of to go off course. And it's interesting because, you know, in, in the pastor world, we're, we're about to really enter into the, the wedding season. In fact, two weeks ago, I was in St. Louis and officiated a wedding for, uh, for one of my uh, friends. And of course, while I was there, because I'm a big baseball guy, I went to some Cardinals games. A- a- any Cardinal fans in here? Two. All right, this is good. So... Um, <laughs> So I was in St. Louis and it was a great, it was a great time and the wedding was awesome. But a couple of weeks leading up to the wedding, I was me- meeting with the couple virtually. We're doing some premarital counseling and, and, you know, we're talking about the wedding and man, you know, weddings today, they, they take up a lot of time and, and a lot of resources, a lot of money. There's a lot of moving parts, especially for this wedding. Cause there was people coming in from, from out of town. And in one of our sessions, I, uh, I asked the, 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 the couple this question because this couple, I mean, they're, they're about to do something crazy. They're about to get married. They're about to make these commitments and these vows and wear these rings and they're about to spend thousands of dollars. And, and, and sometimes I wonder if these couples really even know what they're getting into. And so um, in one of the sessions, I, I asked them this question. I said, hey guys, how many years do you guys want to be married? How long do you want to be married? And of course, uh, when I ask that question to couples, they always answer the same way. They say, well, forever, forever. You know, we're gonna be married for forever. And so I, I'm waiting for the day. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm waiting for the day when I'm sitting with you know, a couple who's about to be in it forever, you know, and they're about to get married. And I go, hey, how, how many years do you guys wanna be married? How long do you wanna be married? I'm waiting for the, the day when you know, the guy's like, mm, five years, maybe five years, right? I mean, we don't answer like that because when you get married, you, you're, you're, the idea you're thinking is, is that you're going to be married forever. And, and all those marriage relationships, like they start really at the same place, right? I mean, somewhere along the way, especially married folks in the room, I mean, you bumped into your significant other and you were like, they were the best thing ever. And there was this attraction and you want to spend all the time with them and they want to spend all their time with you. And you were like, you're the best. They're like, no, you're the best. And you're like, you know, I want to spend, girl, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And they're like, me too. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And you do those late night phone calls, right? This is, you know, early on because you just can't, I mean, you just can't get enough of each other. And so you're on the phone, you're staying up late and you're like, hey, we should probably go to bed. And you're like, well, you hang up. No, you hang up. No. No, you hang up. 
You're still there, aren't you? Okay, you, you, you remember that, that season, right? It's just that kind of like that young love and all things are possible and your future, you know what I mean? Every couple starts there. At least most of us, we started there. And yet, you know this, half, half of all those marriage relationships don't, don't last forever, half of them. And so here's what I wanna do today. I, I, wanna, I wanna ask you a question that, is a question that I've, I've been asking myself, especially over the last couple of years in the context of all the relationships in my life. I have found this question to be the most helpful question, especially for me and, and my marriage and in the relationship with my kids and as I pastor and lead. This has been the question that has kind of reminded me and, and kind of helped me stay on course to to fight for healthy relationships in my life. And the reason why I love questions is because questions, they, 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 they help us make better decisions. If you ask good questions, you're, you're likely gonna make good decisions. And, 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 and good decisions help you lead a life with fewer regrets. And that's a cool thing. So if you're here this morning and like maybe this is your first time at church or for the first time in a long time and you know, you, you don't even really know where you stand with God and you're kind of, you know, you're trying to figure things out. You might be asking a bunch of questions about faith yourself. Here's the cool thing that no matter if you're a Christian or not this morning, we all have this in common. That at the end of our life, I'm assuming that you want to live your life with the fewest amount of regrets, which means you want to make better decisions. You, you want to make, you know, the, the greatest amount of decisions that were the right decisions. And so good questions lead to good decisions. And when you kind of work that rhythm out, you're gonna lead a life with fewer regrets. And this question is such a good question because it brings clarity. And oftentimes when you have decisions to make in your life, clarity is what you need. Clarity is the most important thing. Every decision you make, you have an opportunity to go left or right or choose A and B. And oftentimes the things that make those decisions difficult is a lack of clarity. And so this question, the context of your relationship is gonna bring you clarity. It's gonna help you push through the fog and find the right answer to your decision. Now, uh, before I get to the question, I also have to tell you this, that this question, you can, you can ask it, you can answer it, you can even act on it, but it doesn't always come with a, an immediate ROI. And here's what I mean by that. That even if you ask this question and you live it out, I cannot guarantee that your life will be better. And some of you are sitting here going, well, then why did I get up and come to church today? Well, just hear me out for a sec. It might, it might. But this question is really designed to make somebody else's life better, which in return might, it might make your life better too. But it doesn't always work like that. But I still think you should ask it, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, but I'm gonna to get to the question in a sec, but here's the thing, all right? Just a couple more questions. Here's a couple other questions that are really good questions that you should ask yourself, all right? Here's the thing. Do you know who you wanna be friends with? That's a good question. Do you know who you wanna be friends with? Do you know who you wanna be married to? If you're married, don't ask that question, okay? You're already married, all right? But here's the thing. Do you know you wanna be married to? Or here's a good question. Do you know who you wanna work for? Here's the answer. You wanna be married to, you wanna be friends with, and you wanna work for somebody who's going to ask this question. All right, here's the question. 
Here's the question that I've been working through the last couple years of my life, and it is very simple. But the question is, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? Now, the first person to ever ask that question, you may have heard of him, his name is Jesus. He walked on this planet 2,000 years ago, and because he was willing to ask that question and answer that question, and actually act on the answer to the question. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, he turned the world upside down. And it's interesting because when you look at the life of Jesus, as he's kind of going through his ministry, Jesus had this knack of kind of having conversations and teaching and telling stories about this idea that something new was about to happen. Something new was about to arrive. And a lot of people that were listening to his teaching and following him, they, they thought that what he was talking about was this idea of, pol of political reform. They, they thought he was gonna kind of push Rome out of being a superpower. And then all of a sudden Jesus was gonna take over and he was gonna be like the new Caesar and he was gonna be the most powerful person on the planet. But I'm telling you, Jesus was thinking much bigger than that. I mean, when Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, He's just literally days away from being arrested and, and crucified. When he goes into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, there is a huge crowd that shows up. Why? Because that crowd knew something was up. That crowd knew that there was, there was potential for, for things to change. They had heard the rumors. They had heard the stories that this guy was going to be different. He was going to do something different. He was going to, in some way and somehow, make their life better. And yet nobody could guess what that thing would be. I mean, even the disciples, the guys that were closest to Jesus, the guys that were literally walking with him just about every day for three years, they had no clue what this new, this new thing would be. I mean, when you read through the, the gospel narratives, the disciples are often having a conversation and arguing with one another about when Jesus takes over and he's in the new kingdom and he's you know, the, 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 the most powerful ruler on the planet. They're, they're having an argument about who's gonna be second in charge and third in charge. I mean, some of them are so desperate to make sure they get a seat at the table, they call their mom to call Jesus. And they don't do that, by the way, but they had their mom go to Jesus and say, hey, do you know my sons? Could they sit on your left and your right in your new kingdom? Because they all thought this new thing was going to be a physical kingdom on this planet. And it's not until we, we get to John chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But we get to John chapter 13 and Jesus is about to celebrate Passover with his guys for, for the very last time before he is crucified. And he begins to make clear to his guys, this is what this new thing is, this brand new thing. This is the thing that's finally arriving. Now, at the beginning of John 13, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Judas is, uh, ha has started his betrayal. He sold out Jesus for some coin. Jesus is not far from the cross. He's having one of the last conversations he'll have with his guys on this side of the resurrection, and this is what Jesus says. John chapter 13, verse 34, John was there, and he tells us, and Jesus says this, guys, a new command. I have something brand new, a new command I give you. Love one another. 
It's so simple and yet it's so profound. And I know none of you passed out, but in the room 2000 years ago, this would have hit these guys so hard because nobody can just start kind of like busting out some new commands. And you understand, like in Jewish law, there are 600 and some commands. And there's been a conversation happening in the previous three years about the most important one. In fact, in Matthew 22, there, somebody comes up to Jesus and says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, of all the commands, what's the most important? And Jesus says, well, there's two. You love God literally with everything you have. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. And then we get to John chapter 13 and Jesus gets in front of his guys and goes, guys, listen, I have something brand new. I have a new answer to the question because there's this new command. It's gonna be the most important command and it's very simple. So boys, lean in. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to love one another. Now, here's what I find, especially in the context of our relationships and especially for those of us who have grown up in church most of our life, I mean, we kind of get the idea that love should be part of church, right? I mean, love should be part of our faith. But I, I find that a lot of times when I'm meeting with couples or when I find I'm kind of working through my own heart and mind, I read John 13 like this, not a new command, but a another command. It's just another thing. See, there's a lot of things, and then just, there's just another thing about love that you throw in there. And yet Jesus says, no, 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 it's not another command. This is the command. I mean, this is the most important thing. In other words, if you get this wrong, it doesn't matter if you get anything else right because this is the new command. Jesus is saying, boys, this is what the kingdom of God is gonna look like on earth when you love one another. If you're a Christian, this is essentially the, like the groundswell of our faith. Jesus is about to be crucified and he's gonna come back from the dead three days later. But I'm just telling you, this idea, what Jesus is teaching, this is the groundswell of our faith. This is what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. Because here's what Jesus does. Jesus, he made love a verb. As in, go over there and love that guy. Go over there and, and love that girl. Jesus isn't saying to his guys, I want you to feel something. He's saying to his guys, I want you to do something. This is not a noun. This is a verb. It brings about some action. Then we get to John 13, verse 34, the very next verse. Jesus doubled down, says this. I want you to love one another. And then he says, as I have loved you. So you must love one another. So Jesus raises the bar and he goes, guys, you remember that parenting trick we used to do? We used to tell our kids, hey, you treat others the way you want to be treated. He goes, that's old news. That's that Old Testament stuff. This is new. Here's the new thing. I want you to treat people the way that I have treated you. It's no longer eye for an eye. That's old, that's old stuff. Now, I want you to love people the way that I have loved you. And when we read that, we, we tend to think of the cross, but these guys didn't because the cross hadn't happened. 
These guys are in the room. They thought they were gonna celebrate Passover with Jesus. And now he's talking about all kinds of crazy stuff. And he's looking at his guys and he goes, guys, I want you to love people. It's the most important thing. It's brand new, never heard of it, this idea. And as far as we know, this idea of loving people the way God has loved you is brand new. It never existed. No one ever said it before this moment. And his disciples are sitting there. And what they're thinking about is the previous three years. He's got the whole gang there, you know, Peter and James and John, Matthew. I mean, that's who I'm named after. It's how, who your pastor's named after. Matthew's sitting in there, right? And he's thinking about what, is, what does Jesus mean to love people just like he's loved me? And you can imagine Jesus is, you know, pointing at his guys to make sure they get. He looks at Matthew and he goes, Matthew, do you understand what I'm saying? Matthew goes, I think so. He goes, Matthew, look, you used to be a tax collector. You, you used to, you know, rip off your own people for the sake of the Roman Empire. Matthew, nobody liked you. Do you remember that? He's like, yeah, I do. Yeah. And one day I was walking along the road and I saw you in your tax collector's booth, you know, doing your thing. And what did I do? And Matthew goes, well, you, you invited me to follow you. That's right. What'd you do? He goes, I accepted the invitation. Yeah. And do you remember when you kind of came into this group? You remember how Peter reacted? And then, you know, Peter, Peter's sitting there, he's got his head down. You know, remember Peter? Dude, he hated you. He didn't want you to be part of this group. Do you remember that? And Matthew's like, yeah, I remember that. But I invited you in. You know why? Matthew goes, well, because you love me. Yeah. Now, Matthew, here's what I want you to do for the rest of your life. I want you to love people just like I loved you. You understand? Yeah, I got it. And he's going around, he's having this conversation with his guys. He's going, listen, guys, this is a big deal because this is the new standard for followers of Jesus. Because look what he says next in verse 35. Jesus goes, look, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you, look at this, love one another. So Jesus points out to this one thing in the context of our faith. And he says, this is how I'll know. Listen, there's a lot of things you can be doing and there's a lot, and it's all good stuff. But look, there's this one thing that you've got to have if you're going to be a follower of me. And it has everything to do with love. And I don't know if these guys really understood what was happening in that moment, but I do know this, that they thought that Jesus was about to sit on a, like a, a physical throne and days later, they saw him hanging from a Roman cross. And I think it began to register in their mind, oh, this is love that is on full display. And it shook the world. And the reason why it shook the world is because when Jesus talked about loving people the way that he loves us, there's no loopholes in the love that Jesus requires of us. You cannot watch what Jesus is doing and find a kind of get out of loving somebody card. I mean, the cross is the ultimate trump card of love. That's why Jesus is up there because he loves you and he loves me. Now, enter the apostle Paul. He's one of the greatest you know, followers of Jesus in the history of the church. He's planting churches and he's all over the place. And he kind of gets this teaching that Jesus did in John 13. And he starts developing some application. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he's writing to the church in Corinth, who at the time is having a huge debate about all these things that they think are the most important thing. 
And Paul leans in to remind them this is not the most important thing. Look, look what he writes. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Here's what Paul says, because they're arguing about spiritual gifts. Paul says this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love. Now, where'd Paul get that? Well, he's been hanging out with, you know, some of the guys from back in the day in John 13. He goes, look, I'm only the resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul goes, look, words without love is just noise. Verse two, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, like Paul's just poking fun at them, but do not have love, Paul says, I'm nothing. Or some translations would say this, I'm a nobody. So think about this. Paul goes, listen, guys, great love beats out great faith. Verse three. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. So now Paul talks about generosity, knowing that there are some people in the church in Corinth that are giving so people would go, ooh, look at their generosity. Or they're giving because they want to be blessed in return. And Paul goes, no, no, if you're giving because you just want a blessing from God, then you don't understand Christian generosity because loving generosity doesn't have anything to do with what you get in return. Christian generosity is when you see somebody in need and you go, I should give. Not because I want something back, but because I see the opportunity to give something away. So Paul says, listen, the greatest motivator of anything you can do in your life is love. And if you go, okay, well, how do we, how do we know what that looks like in, in the real world, Paul? How, how, how do we see that kind of manifested in our life? And Paul goes, glad you're asked. I'm gonna keep going, verse four. Then he says this, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy and it does not boast. It is not proud. Now, if we just stop there, all of us just failed the love test. None of us are gonna read that and go, my love is so patient. I'm the most patient person. No, we're naturally not. And that, that's just kind of getting into it. I mean, love is patient, it's kind, does not envy, does not boast. Then he gets to this, verse, verse five. This is crazy to me. Look what he says in verse five. Then Paul goes, love, it does not dishonor others. I, I couldn't think of something that would be more helpful, not just for the church, but the world right now. This is all we do right now. Everybody's dishonoring everybody. Everybody's talking about everybody. Paul goes, no, listen, that's not love because love doesn't dishonor others. And the reason why love doesn't dishonor others because Jesus never dishonored you. Therefore, your love shouldn't be dishonoring to others. And sometimes I think, man, what would the world look like? What would our churches look like if we just got that right? That's it. Forget about being patient and kind. Let's just not dishonor others. Let's just watch what we say about the people that we're sitting beside or the people on the television or the people that are leading this state or this country. What if we were just people who didn't dishonor other people? And Paul's not done. He's got more relational advice. He keeps going. He says this, love, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Married people, look at this. It keeps no record of wrongs. I mean, I meet with married couples and they're like, here's my filing cabinet. This is what he did 30 years ago and I have the file to prove it. 
Paul goes, that doesn't exist. Not if you love them. Paul goes, you, you don't keep records of the wrong. Verse six, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And then look at this, verse seven. As if we didn't already have enough. Paul, he just leans in. He goes, look, love, it always protects. And he uses the word always. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, married folks, now just, just take notice that being right isn't a requirement of love. It's not in there. And some of you are going, I thought it was in there. It's not. It's not. Being right is not a requirement of love. And so when you ask the question, well, what does love require of you? Thanks to Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, you always know because there's no way you can ask that question and not have something begin to stir up in you and go, this is your next step. In this relationship, this is what love requires because it's gonna force you into action. It's gonna force you out of your comfort zone. It's gonna force you to slow down. It's gonna force you to apologize. It's gonna force you to pursue health in all of your relationships. And this is an incredibly big deal because our faith as followers of Jesus hangs on this command. John, who was there in the room at that Passover meal with Jesus, he'll write again in 1 John chapter four. Look what he says. If anyone boasts, I love God. And if you're a Christian, you gotta lean in here. If you're not a Christian, you're off the hook. But if you're a Christian, you gotta lean in. If anyone boasts, I love God and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, well, how can he love the God he can't see? The command, now where do you get that from? Well, he was in the room. John 13, he was there. See, the command, John's going, that I heard Jesus tell us, the command we have from Jesus is blunt, it's very clear. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both, which means in your relationships, it would be wise, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, to ask the question, what does love require of me? Now, here's the trap. Here's the trap we fall into because as I'm talking about this question, what does love require of me? Here's what I tend to find that, that, that people that I'm talking with, they're not thinking about how they are answering that question. They're thinking about the person sitting beside them who could answer that question better. You wanna know why? Because it's always easier to look at other people and go, well, I know how they could be better. I know how they could love me better. I know how they could be a better coworker. I know how they could be a better neighbor. I know how they could be a better spouse. I know how they could be a better obedient child. Praise God, right? We know these things. It's easy to point it out in other people, but friends, I would remind you that's not the question. The question is not how, how, how are they gonna love you better? The question is well, what does love require of you, and this is the tension of marriage, and this is what we don't think about because on our wedding day, and we get up there and we, you know, we say these vows and these commitments. Do you even know what you're saying? Girl, I'm gonna be with you forever, okay? For better or worse? What's worse mean? It's just the worst. But I'm not going anywhere if it gets worse. For richer or poor, I don't even need to have money to be with you. You know what I mean? In sickness and in health. I am with you forever. 
And when I got married, I'll just be honest, and maybe some of you married folk can join with me. When I got married, I thought I understood love, and I did not. I, I had more of like a high school kind of love. You, you know the kind of love they have in high school? It goes something like this, and I have two high schoolers, so I can say that. If you're a high schooler in here, just you know, humor me. All right, but here's the thing. You know, these high schoolers, I get with our students at our church, and, you know, and they'll come up to me and go, I'm in love. I'm in love. You know, they're a junior in high school. I'm in love. I found the boy I love. And I go, you're not in love. You love the idea of how that person makes you feel. That's not love. That's not the love that Jesus is talking about in John 13. And they're going, no, I, I love. I go, no, no, no. There's no way you, you, you don't even know what love requires of you. you. You just love because they got you a gift on Valentine's Day. That's not love. That... <laughs> That's, high, that's something in high school. You know what's funny? Because they're like, oh, I'm in love. I'm going to marry this person. Which, by the way, if you date in high school, only about less than 2% of couples who date in high school get married. So it's a waste of time. Anyways, whatever. All right, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. And then all of a sudden, three months later, I bump into them. And I'm like, how's that relationship with that boy? And they go, we broke up. <laughs> Why? Well, I don't love him anymore. Newsflash, you never loved him to begin with. You just loved how he made you feel. And oftentimes, come on, married folks in this, right? We get into the room and we're arguing with each other. And isn't this, isn't the Bible? I would do this if she would do that. I'll do that if he does that. That's not love. That's not love. That's conditional love. That's high school love. I'll stay with you if you make me feel good. That's conditional. And friends, isn't it good this morning that God didn't give us conditional love? He gave us unconditional love. We, blow, we just blow past that so fast. It's unconditional. Back in 2019, when, when my wife and I, we were going through some things in our marriage and we just, you know, we had some things that we've been working on for years and we couldn't just figure it out and there was tension and we decided, you know what, we're gonna go to see a counselor, do some counseling. So I went to a counselor and she went to a counselor and then eventually we got in the room together. But I remember meeting with my counselor for some of the first sessions that we ever had. His name was Trey and I'm sitting down with Trey and Trey's leaning in. And I remember through the whole conversation, I just wanted to talk about her and he wouldn't let me. And I'm thinking, well, then why am I here? Hey, you know, he's kind of doing his deal. Why are you here? I'm going, well, because she, and then I had my, you know, let me get my list out real quick. This and this and this and this. And he said, we're not gonna talk about that. We're just gonna talk about you. I said, I don't wanna talk about me. Yeah, we're gonna talk about you. And we began talking about some things, this very idea. Matt, in the context of your marriage, what does love require of you? And I didn't even realize it at the time, but what I was kind of communicating to him was, well, when she goes, I'll go. When she moves, I'll move. And he would lean in, he goes, that's not how it works. And I'll never forget the day when he said to me, you should go first. And I said, I don't like that idea. If we keep talking like that, I may not come back because I'm paying for this, you know? And he goes, no, no, you should go first. You should go first. Matt, not just because you're the husband and, 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 and you should go first, but listen, because Jesus went first, you should go first. And when you go first, here's the deal. It's risky, it's vulnerable. You put yourself out there and yes, the other person may not respond in a loving way, but you don't love people because of what they do in return. You love people because Jesus loved you. If you're a Christian, we go first. 
We always love first. We show up loving people before they even know that they're asking for it or need it because that is what Jesus did for us. And sometimes I think like if Jesus was here and he had the stage, you know, I'm like, hey guys, this is really cool. Uh, I brought my friend Jesus, right? He physically walked out here and we gave him the mic and we start passing out the mic in the auditorium. And I'm just like, hey, you got any relational questions? You know, for Jesus, he's here. Might as well ask him. He's a relational guru. He's, he said it in John 13, you know, you get on the mic and here's what we tend to do. Well, Jesus, let me tell you this story. I know you calling us to love people, but you don't know my husband. You don't know my kids. You don't know my neighbor. You don't know my boss. Let me tell you the story about how there's this awful person and how they've treated me. And you get through the end of the story and you go, Jesus, I just die. I don't think you understand how hard it is to love people. And Jesus, because he's Jesus, you know, he's up here just smirking. He's like, well, let me tell you a story. There's just one time I was in the Garden of Gethsemane chatting with my counselor. And he asked me the question, what would love require of me? And he told me it would cost me my life. And it did. And then you would just hand the mic back. Oh, see, the question isn't, what is the minimum amount of love required? The question is, what does love require? And so many times I find that we just want to put in the minimum, but receive the maximum. And there's no way you can read 1 Corinthians 13 and not see the weight and the depth and the width and the length of what love requires. It will take grit. You will have to sacrifice. It is gonna take time and energy and friends. If you choose to love people, it will be messy. I didn't know this at the time, but if somebody would ask me 19 years ago, Matt, how long do you want to be married? I, I probably would have said the same thing that everybody says. Well, forever. The answer to the question really is, well, that all depends. How long am I willing to choose to love? Here's a reminder. Love, at least the kind that Jesus offers you, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been called to give people the love that Jesus gave you. And Paul, he sums it up like this. If you're like, I don't think it's that important. Come on, Paul. He says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. And now these three remain. You know, there's all these big discussions. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Here's what I know. At the end of your life, just think about this for a sec. At the end of your life, when you're gone and people gather in a room just like this for your funeral and tell stories about you and they begin to you know, try to figure out the kind of life that you lived. Here's what I know, because I've, I've been to enough funerals and I've led enough funerals. You know the question, you know the question that people are, are trying to answer for themselves at your funeral? And mine, 
See, Paul got it right. Of all the things they're gonna talk about, and there's different characteristics and things they'll talk about, and, but I'm just telling you the most important thing, this is the question they're gonna wonder and they're gonna ask, and they're gonna wanna have an answer to, and how you live your life will determine how they answer it, but here's the question they're gonna ask. Did you love me? That's what your spouse is gonna ask, that's what your kids are gonna ask, that's what your coworkers are gonna ask, and depending how they answer that question will determine the vibe of your funeral because it is the most important attribute that you've been called by God to live out. So what does love require of you? And if you're a Christian this morning, you cannot ignore that question. How you treat people and how you love people matters to God and so it should matter to you. So here's what I've been doing. I don't know any other way but to remind myself as I go, out, go throughout the day, what does love require of me? Well, I've gotta be reminded of what love is. And if you find yourself in a difficult spot or if you kind of felt some tension going through 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today and you're going, you know what? My love is falling a bit short in the context of my relationships, then you should read 1 Corinthians 13 more. You should spend more time reminding yourself, oh yeah, that's right, love is patient. That's right, love is kind. That's right, love, it perseveres. Oh, I forgot about that. Also love, it does not dishonor others. I'm about to blow up this person on Facebook, but I won't because that's not what love does. You know, I was traveling from Colorado yesterday. You know, it takes so much patience to travel these days. Holy cow. DIA, our airport is just a mess right now. It's construction galore. Parking is a mess. Everybody's upset. I mean, checking in bags is a mess. I get to the gate yesterday. We're delayed an hour. And I mean, I'm just, ugh, I'm just ready to fight somebody. And, and God, he just kind of leaned into me yesterday. And he's like, dude, you're preaching about love tomorrow. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. I got up this morning. This is a true story. I got up this morning. Got up at the hotel and there's a race today. So self-parking was full. And so I had to do valet park. I never do valet parking, but I had to do valet parking. Give my ticket to the guy this morning. I got to get here by 7.30. So I'm making sure I'm on time and I'm standing there waiting forever. The guy rolls in with the wrong car. And I'm looking at him going, you had one job, bro. You had one job. He gets out, I'm like, that's not my car. And he goes, yeah, it is. I go, you, I know what my car is. <laughs> and I just feel like the spirit inside me is like, dude, be patient. Be kind with your words right now. What are you gonna say if that guy goes, you know, why are you in town for the race? No, I'm a pastor. <laughs> it's tough. And the only way that I find to get better is to remind yourself of how God loves you and to remind yourself what's required of you in the context of your love. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been blessed. He loves you so much. And he calls you now to get in the, the mess of relationship and to offer patience and kindness and to persevere when others would quit and to fight as hard as you can to show up every day from this day to the day you die to love people the way that he loves you. And I promise you, 
If you do, your life will be filled with less regret. Let me pray for you. Father, this morning, we thank you for the reminder of a truth. We know it's there, and yet sometimes we just, we go right past it. So help us to find some rest this morning, right in the middle of your love that's filled with grace and truth and forgiveness and joy that we might be able to love the people around us just like you love us. So show us this morning where we're falling short. Show us how we can do better. Help us to take our eyes off the people around us so that we may put our eyes back on you. A God, a Father in heaven who loves us so much who would send his son down to this earth and Jesus would love us so much that he would be willing to go to the cross to demonstrate to us how much, how much he loves us. So may we offer that love to the people who we do life with on this planet. Father, we, we do, we love you. We thank you for your love. And it's in your son's name we pray.